Hello, and welcome back to Letterly Ramblings. So what I wanted to do today is, if you know anything about me, or if you know me personally, you know that I enjoy journaling. And I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily journal in the typical way that people, you know, usually know, that is, you know, writing stuff in an actual book that you save in a closet and then can just look up whenever you want. That's not what I do. I usually send emails to myself in the future. They arrive in the future and I have no access to them until they arrive. So I usually send my emails about three years in the future using this website called futureme.org and I cannot read them until then. And it's just a complete surprise when they arrive because I don't remember exactly when I wrote them or what's in them. So today I got this email from three years ago when I was still believing, I was still in the church and I was maybe having some doubts, I was kind of struggling with some things. And the anxiety and cognitive dissonance in this letter alone really serve as a great case study for what happens, you know, when to your brain, when you're deconstru deconstructing faith. So I thought I'd just uh, share this with you guys. I think maybe you might find this helpful or relatable. And yeah, so let's go, Let's let's go for it. So when I wrote this, I was about uh, 15 years old, and I think I had just I had just gotten my patriarchal blessing at this time. Um, yeah, and I was kind of like I was going through some things, and I was feeling lonely at this time. I had fallen into a bit of a bit of a depression, not clinically, but you know what I mean. And so I'll start reading the first few paragraphs so you kind of get the idea. So it says, uh, "Dear Christina." I haven't been doing so well lately. I feel lonely a lot of the time and I don't feel home at school. I've been struggling with certain desires of the flesh. <laughs> I'm falling back into bad habits. I almost went three weeks without doing it. Now all my progress has erased itself. I have to start over, but what if I don't feel the motivation to start over? So in this bit, I'm obviously talking about, you know, desires of the flesh, which means masturbation. I was struggling with masturbation. Um, not only because I felt like I shouldn't do it, but I felt like I shouldn't have the desire to do it, which, you know, which is what something that uh, is taught to women in the church. You know, you shouldn't have sexual desires because women are not supposed to be sexual or have feelings of lust in any way. Um, meanwhile, men are usually like, yeah, you have those feelings, but you should suppress them. Uh, women just shouldn't have those feelings at all and expressing them as a whole different category. So for me, I just felt so isolated and so different to everyone. I felt like it was completely abnormal. Like I was some kind of like mutant creature. I shouldn't be the way that I am. That's how I felt the entire time. And yeah, I, I tried going periods without masturbating and the most I could do was three weeks, um, which was a whole accomplishment. And I just, I but I, after that, I just felt demotivated and you know, I just fell back into the habit and, you know, lost hope. So it's kind of this whole cycle and it's, it's tough. I, I would agree. I keep going. Um, quote, I keep thinking about these two verses in James three out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? I feel like such a hypocrite. I keep telling myself I'll do better, but I never do. I'm not strong enough. 
In James 1, it says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Is this making me feel bad because I am a bad person? Or is this making me feel bad because the church has convinced me I'm a bad person? That's a good question. Like, I, I ask myself that question, like, am I, is this actually bad what I'm doing? Or have I just been taught that it's bad? Like, where is this guilt coming from? And, uh, you know, it's good that I asked myself those questions, even though I couldn't really come to a conclusion just yet. I was still, I had too many blockages in my brain and too much indoctrination. I was still like, this is my fault, not the church's fault, right? Um, but yeah, I quote these scriptures and like, um, yeah, those contradict contradictory desires shouldn't exist in me. I felt like a hypocrite. I felt like I shouldn't be this way, like I'm not strong enough. And it's just a lot of, you know, blaming myself, even though I'd really not done anything wrong and I was completely trying my best. You know, I had no desire to look for excuses, but I just, I was I really, I really didn't know what to do anymore. I was hopeless and I was like, I was really, truly struggling and I wanted to believe and I did believe even at that time, but it just, it didn't work. Something wasn't connecting, you know? Um, then I keep going, quote, either way, I'm playing by God's rules. When I got baptized, I chose to accept and fulfill those covenants. I need to take responsibility for my actions. But why do we let eight-year-olds get baptized? When I was eight, I had no idea what I was doing. I just got baptized because it was the logical next step in any Mormon kid's life. I didn't understand the covenants I was making or the responsibility I was taking on. Is it fair to peer pressure a child into doing something others believe is good for them? Is it similar to teaching a child to eat vegetables? How can anyone be sure anything is for their own good? Yeah, so more good questions from my past self. You know, I question um, the idea of, you know, I feel this responsibility for having been baptized. Like, okay, I made this covenant and I should probably be responsible for my actions now and, you know, obey the covenant. But then again, did I make that covenant or did my parents in the church force me to make that covenant? You know, do eight-year-olds really have the agency necessary to make such a big choice? Because it is a huge, important, significant choice in your life. You know, the promises that you make that you don't understand at that age. And I was like, is it really true? You know, eight is the age of accountability when I really had no idea what I was doing at that time. Like, am I just the stupid one? Am I the outlier? Or like, what's going on here? Like, I didn't understand because it turns out it just doesn't make sense. It's just something that the church made up that doesn't make any sense. Um, and yeah, I was just, again, more cognitive dissonance, more confusion, more doubt and guilt that was going on in my head. And I keep going. <laughs> Quote, some of the things I've been taught to believe don't make sense to me anymore. My parents just think I disagree on minor things, but LGBT issues aren't minor things, according to the gospel. God's eternal plan for marriage is one of the cornerstones of our faith. The LGBT community doesn't fit into that plan. So yeah, again, I'm right. I am right. My parents at this time thought I disagreed on minor, minor things. And I guess at this time, 
it was minor. I hadn't discovered any of, you know, the historical issues and, you know, the, the inconsistencies and the lies and, you know, the deception, all of that. And a lot of the more harmful things the church has done. Um, I just didn't disagree with the LGBT policies and doctrines surrounding marriage and all that. Um, which is still important because, like I say, it's one of the cornerstones of the faith. It's families and heterosexuality, heteronormativity. It is very important to the Mormon faith. Uh, it, and LGBT people just don't fit into that plan, at least when they are fully expressive of themselves, you know, which just couldn't happen. And then I keep, uh, I continue on this topic and I say, so I dive into the deep, raging waters of the internet, trying to look for something in between, a balanced, moderate perspective. And I found Bryce Cook's 42-page essay, What Do We Know of God's Will for LGBT Children? An Examination of the LDS Church's Position on Homosexuality. His stance on the matter made sense to me and gave me hope. Maybe I'll finally find out what I believe in. So yeah, that's what I actually did. I was looking for like a moderate balanced perspective on this issue, not uh, Mormon, not anti-Mormon, or like not like entirely TBM Mormon. So I was looking for something more nuanced, which we now usually call nuanced Mormonism. Um, and I found this really long essay by Bryce Cook, uh, which kind of argues that on the basis of, you know, scriptures, we can argue that, you know, God would approve of gay people. That is basically his main thesis. Like, you know, we could, like, we don't have to change that much of the doctrine even to allow them to be themselves because it is about love. Ultimately, it's about love. Um, and he also went into the history of the teachings and all these quotes by old church leaders about homosexuality. And it really struck a chord with me. And I'm like, wow, these prophets that we hold dear really aren't saints. They really weren't. They can say some pretty mean things. And that's not even like, that's, <laughs> that's not even the worst of it, but I found out later. Um, but yeah, I really read that 42 page essay. I was that concerned and that, you know, into this topic, I was just hyper-focused on it because it was really important to me, obviously, and rightfully so, because many of my friends were LGBT and I just couldn't see what was wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. They're not harming anybody. Therefore, why could it be wrong for them to be themselves? You know, it's just basic moral logic, I guess, uh, at least in a secular world. But yeah. And I continue, quote, I want more than anything for the church to be true. Otherwise, wouldn't it feel like my efforts had been in vain? Like my whole life had been wasted in pursuit of a false sense of moral righteousness. Like I'd been lied to by loved ones, by people who I thought I could trust. But nevertheless, I have to be open to the idea that the church and the gospel might not be true. I don't want to look at just one side of the argument. So I feel like this is really a turning point in my career as a devout believer, as a Mormon. Because I realize that, you know, I want the church to be true. I, in some ways, need it to be true. My life would, you know, remain stable and, you know, be the same the same way it was always and be comfortable, you know, if it were true. 
And, you know, if it weren't, I recognize all these negative aspects that would happen. You know, I would feel lied to. I feel like all my efforts to be a good Mormon or a good person would have been in vain, right? Because that morality isn't even true um, in the case that the church is false. Uh, so my whole life up until that point would have felt like a waste. And I, I would have felt betrayed by people I thought I could trust, including the church. And, you know, these expectations and these predictions turn out to be true. That's exactly what I felt when I lost my faith about a year ago. It's exactly what happened. So I think I had great foresight and great empathy, you know, because I wasn't blaming people who, you know, left the faith. I was like, oh, they must feel terrible. Like, you know, if you're really in this and then you're like, well, this doesn't make sense to me anymore, then leave. Like, that must feel horrible. That must feel, like, so sad or, or angry. And I just, I was so empathetic towards those people and curious as well. And I think that's the first step towards unbelief. It's empathizing with unbelievers, with ex-Mormons, people who leave. I think that was really important, actually. <clears throat> and then I keep going. Quote, but nevertheless, I have to be... Oh, never mind. I already read that. Um, yeah, I say that I need to be open to the idea that it's not true because I, I recognized, you know, the, you know, logic, science, that you have to be open to multiple perspectives to allow the truth to flourish, to survive, right? And so I have to at least consider the idea that it might not be true, because otherwise, what's the point of holding this belief that I can't even challenge? So I was very rationally minded, even in my mid-teens, my early teens. So actually, I'm really proud of myself for, for this. Um, yeah, great job. And then I keep going, saying, then again, would I ever find objective truth? Does that even exist? Which is a good question. Does objective truth even exist? I'm not sure, honestly. Like, who's to say? I don't know. That's that's the thing. I don't know. There's, there's, um, you know, secular theories for objective truth, objective morality. Uh, you know, Sam Harris' um, theory on objective morality is one. There's other secularists who say, you know, morality is um, subjective. But you know, there's we live in a society and we have to look. Like, make a social contract, just contractualism or whatever that's called, or, you know, there's several theories and ideas and I don't know which one I subscribe to, which one I feel more drawn to. I'll have to look into that more. Um, but I don't think it honestly matters that much right now, whether anything is objectively true, whether we just all collectively feel it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll I'll figure it out. Maybe someday. <laughs> it's not as pressing as it used to be. Okay, I continue saying, I'm just so frustrated, so confused. It's like I can't trust anyone or anything. Everyone has a bias. Everyone has seemingly already found their answers. Everyone has decided what they believe in. I'm just an exception. Which is fair, you know, I felt like, you know, there's Mormons on this side, ex-Mormons on the other side. They both decided what they want to believe in, and I don't fit in either category, you know? And I didn't consider, oh, there's all these other religions and, you know, other strands of Mormonism even. There, there would be community of Christ or even nuanced Mormonism within the church, um, you know, or just 
regular Christianity. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of things that I could have decided to believe in or could have tried to believe in or considered. But I saw this dichotomy of like people who think the church is true and people who have decided that it isn't, right? And I felt like alien to both categories and I was looking for some kind of middle ground at this time. Someone who believes in the church but acknowledged their faults. But the thing is that that can't exist because once you acknowledge its, you know, inherent faults, it just crumbles down from there. And that's what happened to me when I discovered the historical issues. I was like, this can't be possible. You know, I can't hold this as true anymore. And no, it's completely fair on my part. It's completely fair on any ex-Mormon who uh, goes down that path because it doesn't logically make sense anymore. And once it doesn't, then it's kind of game over. So, yeah. And then the, the last paragraph of my email is just me in complete desperation, sadness. <laughs> it's just very emotional. I say, my head hurts. My stomach hurts. I don't want to be here. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel so utterly lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. Yeah, so in this part of the letter, this last part, I feel, like I said, I feel completely hopeless and in despair because all these doubts surrounding my faith, you know, it leads to an identity crisis. Like, who am I if I am not, you know, a Mormon? Because it's such a huge part of your identity when you're inside it because, you know, I'm a child of God. That's what they keep telling you since primary. You're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, then who are you? Right? That's kind of what it comes down to. And I just felt like completely so lost because I didn't know what I believed in or wanted to believe in or where to go from there. And it just, it was just very hard for me. It was a really big, huge struggle. And I was in that for, you know, at least those two years until I completely lost my faith in 2021, actually, uh, last year. And yeah, it's just, it was just such a ride, a whole journey of, you know, pain, but also self-discovery. Because when you're doubting this, you're, you know, trusting yourself over this figure of authority that you've been taught has the entire full truth since birth, right? So it's this, it's a huge step, you know? It's a huge decision when you're like, I trust my own intuition and my own research over what I've been told. It's very significant. And it really signals that you as a person are a truth seeker. Like, I feel like most ex-Mormons feel that way when they leave the faith. They're like, I'm really coming into my own as a rational person, as someone who actually seeks truth no matter what. And of course, we all have our faults and no one is perfect and everyone has biases, but we all got a little step closer to that, you know? And that's really valuable. Like in our journey of life from here, we have a huge advantage, I feel like. And that is not to discredit, you know, other faiths or other people in the world. It's just, that's what it feels like to me and to a lot of ex-Mormons that I know. They really feel like they've grown as people and that is very valuable, I think. Yeah. And so that is kind of what I wanted to share with you guys today. 
I hope you found it valuable and uh, relatable because I think it's important to reflect on these moments. You know, I feel like it makes me consider the kind of person I am and how I became who I am today. And I think that's important to, to consider and keep in mind, you know, it's not just the destination, it's also the journey, you know, in a very cliche, cringe sense, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I wanted to discuss. And I hope you have a good day. Goodbye.